0: Welcome back, everybody. I am glad that you're here for week three in our series called In Rhythm. Week one, we talked about how Sabbath is a container that we can choose to fill with better things. And last week, we talked about how Sabbath, inside the Sabbath container, there should be rest. And, And in it is resting with God, not resting from God. So we just can't do a bunch of things and say, Well, I rested. Instead, Sabbath is a container we choose to fill with better things, which includes some rest. If you missed that talk, go back and hit that talk up uh, through the podcast, and I know that uh, it will be great in your walk with Jesus. Well, this week, what we're going to talk about is how Sabbath, uh, inside of our Sabbath container, inside Sabbath, is a time of delighting. Uh, the NIV uses the word joy, but it's a time of delighting, delighting with the Lord. We're also going to see that there are some other things about us, inside of us, that actually we can delight in. But before I get there, I want to introduce this talk with uh, telling a story, if I could. Uh, many of you know that I am a hiker and backpacker. I've done this for years. I've told many stories, and you're like, oh my goodness, not another backpacking story. Just one more for today. That's all, just one more. And uh, so when Austin and I decided years ago that we were gonna go out on the Appalachian Trail, I I knew that we needed to sharpen our skills some. So to sharpen our skills, we got packs and we started hiking and we started doing some research as to what would go in our pack and what should not go in our pack. Well, me being the list-making, overly prepared guy that I am, I made a list and the list was crazy long And I looked at all these videos and I thought, man, we've got to put all of these things in our bags. We need to simulate these hikes. Well, through the course of hikes and backpacking trips, I've realized that I had way too many things planned to go in our packs, way too many. It was okay because Austin was carrying most of them, but still, I had way too many things planned in our pack. So I went and I had made my checklist originally. I know, yes, I have a checklist. Of course, you're thinking, of course you do. But I, I, took, I had taken my checklist, and then through the process of the trips, I had whittled down what was going to be on my checklist because I knew what I needed to take on my trips. When it comes to Sabbath, I just want you to just breathe deep and breathe easy. It's going to be okay, but one of the things I want st- us to to see is you may start out with this great big list of like, oh, my goodness, all these things are going to go in my Sabbath container. But after a while, you're going to whittle down that list to things that are beneficial for you, that, glor- that are glorifying to God, that you need and that your family needs. So it's going to take time. It's a process. You're not going to figure it all out right now. It's okay. But one thing that I know that many of you are still asking and there's still a little bit of confusion. Okay, there's rest. Well, what does that mean to rest? We're, we're going to get uh, into a little bit of that this week and then also next week. But I want to just bring it home with uh, just a few or a question and then a few statements. And a question you may be wrestling with is this. If I create a Sabbath container, what goes in it? If I create a Sabbath container, what goes in it? Like ultimately, I believe that most of us are trying to say, okay, well, I need a Sabbath a couple hours or more than a couple hours. Or I want to go for the whole day. Maybe if you have the opportunity for that right now and you want to do that. And I would say this, what goes into your Sabbath container are the things that bring you joy and things that you delight in. Things that bring you joy. And things that you delight in. Of course, there's rest. We talked about that. We're resting with God, not resting from God, but things that bring you joy and delight. Here's the problem. The problem isn't the fact that we're going to put these things into our Sabbath container. The problem is this. We are a, a, a just a delight deficient people. So what we do to counter this as people and human beings is we just try and throw everything at the world's disposal and to try and meet our need of, of we're, we're delight deficient. We're joy deficient. So we try this and we try this and we try this and we have this experience and we've got to go here and we've got to go there and I've got to work more here and I've got to do this and I want to go here and I want to eat there and I want to drink this. And yet we are delight deficient people. So we have to get this right. And I want you to know that God has created for us exactly what we need. So refreshing to think about that God has created for us exactly what we need, knowing that we are delight-deficient people, but yet God has given us the Sabbath, and in the Sabbath is a time of delighting, delighting for, with Him and also having the desires of our heart met. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Genesis 1, starting at verse 31. Last couple weeks, we have intentionally gone to the same passage, but I backed up one verse to verse 31 instead of just starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, and there's the reason why. What we're going to see is God delights in His creation. God delights in His creation. Let's go to the Word and let's look and see what it says for itself. In Genesis 1, 31 through chapter 2, verse 3. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Pause there for a second. So God had just gotten done creating in six days. He had created, he's like, trees, bam, got him. Aardvark, got him. Giraffe, got him. Poison ivy. Got him, and it's going to get us later. Poisoned ever everything that God wanted to create on the initial six days of creation, and God is still in the habit of creating, of course, but he had created. And in that, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. This tells us something about God and also about his creation. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array their vast array, just, I, I can't even put my mind around this, but I'm going to try, of, of just what God saw when he just stepped back from his creation and saw the vast array of things that the master creator created everything in, in all of its beauty and, and, and majestic peaks and, and all of the things that God created with his just eminent amount of creativity but by the seventh day, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested, or he ceased, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. See, God took the, this, all of his creation and stepped back from creation he saw all that he had made and he said, It is good. I believe that in this, that God is stepping back on those six days of, of producing and creating. And he sits back and he, he rests on the seventh day in a time to delight with his creation. I believe that he's finding delight in in what he had made. God is is now observing the vast array of his creation was certainly in awe of all that he had seen. I, I believe there's a way that we can connect to this because it seems like, well, of course it's like God, and like that seems so unapproachable, and I, and I get all that. A few years ago, we had our kitchen countertops replaced, and there was this extra piece of kitchen countertop that was left behind. So I had this idea that I was going to build this coffee bar. and I wanted a coffee bar. I've, I've wanted a coffee bar for a long time, and so I had this idea that I was going to build this coffee bar, and I had this, this, uh, this remnant countertop that I was going to use as a template. So I used it as a template, and I went out in the garage, and I put it all together, and, and it's great. You can see it today. If you've been in my, in my kitchen, you've seen it, most likely, but I love it. It's there. It houses my regular coffee maker, my Chemex, my kettle, my grinder, all my, my beans, it can, all of that stuff. And, and now every morning, this is typically how I start my morning, I get up, my coffee's already made, and I literally, I go in there and I make coffee at the coffee bar that I made. Now, if I'm honest, there are times where I just sit back and I think, wow, that's just really, really cool. But I remember when I originally had made it and it's sitting there and I painted it and before it was even in the house and I thought, I just kind of stepped back from it and I was like, wow. This is really neat. Like I made this. Of course God gave me the ability and the intellect and all that resources to do it, but I was like, I made this with my own hands and that was really cool. Maybe for you you're like, yeah, I'm not a carpenter. Maybe for you 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 like to bake or cook things and maybe you've had the exact same things and you had gone and made this elaborate meal and you had people coming over and you made this elaborate meal and you worked in the kitchen and and you were just you're in there and churning out this recipe or something and you, you put it all at the table and now everybody's there and everybody's centered around what you created. And you remember how good that felt or how good that feels? When after you get done creating something and you look and you're just enjoying it, I think that's, that's what God had to have felt like but his was like obviously so much more than ours because we're just simply making a cake or food or a coffee bar. But God's setting back from his creation and delighting in what he had made. We similarly delight after we create something, whether it's a piece of of artwork or or food or or constructing something with our hands or maybe it's beauty that we create in our yard and with gardening or something. I think that there's always this element of, ah, that was really cool. Look what I did. You see, God paused to delight after the accomplishment of his creation. God paused to delight in the accomplishment of his creation. He wasn't exhausted. I believe he was exhilarated. He wasn't like, oh my goodness, six days, I'm really, really worn out. Of course, we are talking about God. He got to the seventh day where he was, I believe, I believe that he was exhilarated at what he had created. This is before the fall and before sin tainted us and, and all of creation. But God exhilarated by looking at what he had created. And yet on the seventh day, we see this back in our passage in Genesis 2, starting in verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested or he ceased, he ceased from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Remember, Sabbath is a day holy to the Lord. And he made it holy because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. So now in the In the course of a week, what we see in God's creation is there's a bookend when he starts creating, and then there's another bookend at the back end at day six when he he sits back and he delights and he's, I believe, exhilarated about what he had created. Now on day six, he puts another bookend and saying that creation is complete, and it was complete so then he could rest on the seventh day. There's a symbolism of this in the New Testament, actually. I'll read this for you. You can look it up later. But in Hebrews 8.1, there's there's an interesting symbolism to what I just talked about. And this is talking about the finished work of Jesus. And this is what the author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 8, verse 1. The point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of of the majesty in heaven. He's saying, so we do have a high priest. Our high priest is Jesus. Amen? Our high priest is Jesus. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. He says that God became our high priest. And now, as this continues on and saying, oh, excuse me, it's two chapters later, this is what it says in, in Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, the priest is who? It's Jesus. But when this priest had offered had offered one for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So now... The finished work of Jesus is the second bookend, of the, the work and pathway for a person to have salvation. That he had been speaking in the Old Testament and Jesus came onto, uh, onto the earth. And just think about it, my mind has been blown with this reality. Just of how overwhelming it is to think that the holy, majestic, omnipotent, just omnipresent God would step out of heaven and that he would even consider coming to earth for sinners like me, that in him, him coming to earth for you and I, that he would, he would leave heaven behind and that he would come to earth and he would come to earth in submission to the Father, that he would go to the cross in submission to the Father, but also as a way of having our sins to be cleansed for us to be one with our heavenly Father, knowing that there was no other way coming, but it was only through Jesus, could one be right with their heavenly Father. And then as Jesus dies on the cross and he resurrects, and now the author of Hebrews, he, he says that now the high priest is sitting at the right hand of God. Now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and that is the, the, the bookend, is the, the offer and the pathway of salvation, For people today, such great symbolism and just talking about the completion of that. So Jesus then is sitting at the right hand of the father. He can sit at the right hand of the father because the the work of redemption and salvation is complete. But I want you to know that that the work associated with our spiritual formation is yet incomplete. While the work of Jesus, he put a bookend in his work that now he's just resting from the work of redemption and salvation. It's complete. But yet, there's a part of us that is yet to be completed. Go to the right in your Bible, if you would, please, into Genesis 3. Don't go too far. It's probably on the same page. We're going to go to Genesis 3, 17 and 18. And what we're going to see, ultimately, is maybe the reason why it's so difficult for you to even consider Sabbath maybe the reason why it's so difficult for you to accept the rest that's on offer or, or maybe even the reason why it's so difficult for you to believe that God would want you to delight in him this is what it says genesis 3:17 to adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which i commanded you you must not eat of it cursed Look at this closely. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. We are limited as human beings. Our work is, is going to seem difficult. There is a part of us that, that needs to be brought to Jesus and continually brought to Jesus. This is the reason why we have to abide in Jesus, because Adam, the sin of Adam, has left us in, in a rut Where cursed is the ground because of you, Adam, through painful toil, you will eat of it. And now we eat of it all the days of our lives, that in it, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and for us. And God says that you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. What God is saying to Adam is, this is the consequence. What God wanted, I believe that he wanted to simply delight in his creation. Now, sin has not only become an obstacle, but sin has now become a boundary for so many to where we can get stuck in a rut where we have to, where we contend to think that all we're here to do is work and that work is hard and that we're not worthy of anything better. Let me ask you this question. Did did anyone like going to school? Like when you were school age, some of you are homeschooled. I don't even I don't even know how to ask that question. Did you like staying home? I don't even know what that means. But did you like going to school? For myself, I didn't necessarily like school, but I liked the social aspect of school, and also I liked I liked recess because I kick with my left foot. So I kick with my left foot. It was kind of sneaky, and I've got like a heavy leg with my left foot, so it was kind of sneaky. It sounds prideful. Sorry, but. Anyway, so school, I, I liked recess, as probably a lot of us did. And then also, I liked the social aspect of it. Now, it did get me in trouble. It got me into the, into the principal's office more times than I even care to admit. I remember exactly what the office looked like because it was so familiar to me. One thing that I love about my school age years, in growing up in Illinois, this was not real common, but it was, it was a pleasant surprise when it was, I used to love the snow day. Now, I realize that it snows here like, you know, once every five years. Like we get a dusting and everybody freaks out, and you know, school's and all that kind of stuff, and the kids get to enjoy it. But for us, the snow day meant that you were getting some snow. Like a couple, an inch or two inches, they're not shutting anything down. Like you have to be at work on time. The buses are running. Like they're just soldiering on. But if you got a lot of snow, they would give a snow day. And I remember that maybe I would hear about from my, parent, from my dad and my stepmom, like, hey, I think it's going to snow. It may snow overnight. So I was like, okay, so I'd pay attention. So then we would watch the news and, you know, inevitably they would say nothing about school closings. So I was like, oh, all right. So I still got a plan to go to school, which means I still had to get up. And then I would get up the next morning and, and we'd have the TV on. And then, you know, with the snow, like we'd we'd maybe look out the window or the door or something and see, it was like snow. It's like, yes, there's a chance. We'd watch the news, and the news would say, yes, Taylorville city schools are closed. And we're like, yes, snow day. And a snow day for me was fantastic because it meant the parents were at work. And it meant my brother and I got to go do whatever we wanted to do, and we had no accountability. So not much anyway. So um, I remember distinctly, we lived on Clay Street and my dad actually worked across the street at a funeral home. And right behind us was a, a Burger Chef. Anybody remember Burger Chef? And then eventually it turned into a Hardee's. But I remember there was a property just adjacent to the Hardee's and there was this great big parking lot because it was a public space. They always had it plowed. So there was any time there was a snow day, they would go out and they plow it early in the morning and they would just create these huge piles of snow. And I would rummage and I would, I would rummage through those. We'd make tunnels. It was great. No one died. So it was cool. The snow was a little dirty, never yellow. So just, just a little dirty. And we would go out and we would enjoy the snow day. I want you to think of Sabbath as a time of delight where it's, where it's a a programmed snow day for you to where whatever that Sabbath day is going to be for you. We learned last week, it's not bound to, to one particular day. Maybe your schedule doesn't allow it for it to be a Saturday or Sunday. Maybe you have to work that into your your schedule because of work or something. But I want you to view your Sabbath as a time of delighting like the snow day. But, but a time where you can go out and you can have fun, a time that you can enjoy, a time that, that if it feels overly religious, you're probably doing it wrong. If it feels more like something is coming alive in you, you're probably doing it right. Sabbath should be viewed as kind of like a snow day every week for, the, for a believer as we're delighting in God. Of course, you can imagine that part of the idea of Sabbath has become an obstacle for God's people in the past. If you would continue going to the right in your Bible to Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, we're going to start in verse 11. Now, I apologize because we're going to start in verse 11, and there is kind of a conversation that's been had up to this point, but I can summarize it by saying this, that the nation of Israel, they had a, a general interest in the things of God but they just weren't generally interested in following through on the things that they promised. So in times like that, uh, in the book of Judges, there was this this phrase that identified times like this where the people of God, they just did what was right in their own, somebody help me, in their own eyes. They were just doing what was right in their own eyes. It's like they, they said, oh, they're paying lip service to God. Yes, we'll do this. And yet their actions weren't matching what was really happening, uh, really what God was wanting to happen in their life. So it becomes an obstacle for them. And as what you see in the Old Testament from time to time, you see there, there is this dialogue in the Word of God where it says, if, then, if, then, if, then. And it creates this, this, this contrast in saying, well, if you do this, then this is going to happen. And this is one of those occurrences. So verse 11, Isaiah 58 says this, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Man, I tell you, whenever, I have, whenever I've been living in just a cycle of no rest and no Sabbath, I feel like a sun-scorched land. I feel like I'm just wrung out I was tempted to bring like a chamois to illustrate that, to squeeze. I mean, that's that's what I feel like, like there's not much left in me. And that is what God's Word is saying here, like a sun-scorched land. It's just barren. It's dry and desperate. That's what I can be like whenever I don't have times of, of Sabbath and rest with God. But look at the contrast here. Instead, he says, you will be like a well-watered garden. Notice it's a complete contrast from the sun-scorched land. And now he says, a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Like a spring whose waters never fail. I know this because in my front yard over this winter, I had... A water line that was was broken right in the front of my house, right up by the road, and the water line was broken. And since then, they fixed it. But in this, uh, in the area where the water line broke, is the grass was like green and lush. But it's winter, so the rest of the grass. I don't fertilize or anything or water, so the rest of the grass was brown, you know, just kind of getting into, the, into that color of green, just kind of fading away, kind of dying away for the winter. And yet in that one little area, because it continually has water just being pumped into it, it's just flowing into it. This one area just looked green and lush. And I just couldn't help but think of that as a visual When, again, in verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Like there was just, there was evidence of life when that broken water pipe or water line was there. and, And it was just, there was life there and it was green and it was flourishing. It was such a contrast to the rest of the yard where it looked like it hadn't seen rain in a long time. The passage continues. Verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Notice here, verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then, here's the if, there was the if, here's the then, then you will find your joy. A better translation, if you have the ESV, your translation says delight. If you have the NASB, your translation also says delight. If you have the NLT, I'm running out of letters here. The NLT, it also says delight. I believe that's a better translation than the one that I'm reading from, which is the NIV. Then you will find my delight in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. So verse 14, I'll just... Uh, jump in here, and, and then we'll go back into Sabbath being a delight. One of the uh, people who uh, wrote a commentary on this particular passage, in the part that says, "I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land," uh, this the the person who wrote one particular commentary I studied. He he said that this was a this was a picture of of spiritual salvation, like riding on the heights of the land, being taken away. Spiritual salvation. And then, and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. He made mention that, that he believed that that stood for the idea of being a prosperous people. Now, think about this in conjunction with what it said about the Sabbath. Now, it's connecting, potentially connecting salvation and now prospering with now let's back up. And let's look at verse 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and not from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight and the, whole, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your delight in the Lord. I believe this is a promise that if we get this right, we will find our delight in the Lord. You may still think, well, I just I don't know what this looks like in real life. I'm telling you, once you start experimenting with with Sabbath, and I just want to encourage you, it's going to take some experimenting. You you probably haven't done it, so it's going to take a little time. You're going to have to reorient some of, of, of the things that you do, and you're going to have to revisit this from time to time, and I just want you to breathe easy on that. That's okay. It's going to take time. It's a process. But I believe there's a promise here that we will be a prosperous people if we simply observe the Sabbath and we delight in the Lord. That we delight in the Lord. And the people of Israel, they apparently were ignoring the Sabbath. They were ignoring the delight that they should have been having in God. They had been ignoring the fact that it was to lead to deep fellowship with God, that that, that ultimately would allow them to overcome difficulties and obstacles, and that, that they too would have a peaceful possession of the land, but yet they were in apparently they were indifferent to what God was saying that they could have. Much like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 5, 8, and 9, this is what Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And these were people trying to impose rules, even on the Sabbath. out of Merv. Aren't you thankful your name is not out of Merv? A bishop from centuries ago, he said this. He said, if you call the Sabbath a delight, in other words, you honor it for the banquets and the drinks, finding your joy in on that day as if it were a party. Now I, I can imagine that you've never viewed the Sabbath as a party. And this is what he's saying. Of course, it's it's his opinion, but I, I definitely think there's a connection there with delighting. We're also going to see there's another connection here in just a moment in Psalm 37. But treating Sabbath as it's a party. That it's a time that it's a party set up in your, your, your weekly rhythm that you work for six and you rest and you delight and you celebrate and you contemplate God on the seventh day, on the restful day, on the Sabbath day. And you do that understanding it's like walking into a party like you look forward to that. I love I love a good party. My, my wife is she is like the, the president of the party planning committee all the time. She loves it. She loves to have people over. She loves to have just the spirit of joy in our house. She loves to have people at our house. It's it's awesome. This is something we're we're very uh, very used to in our home. is just this kind of party atmosphere, and in it there is an excitement when people are getting ready to come over to the party. So not only does she go out and she she prepares the house, and I, I do a, a little bit, not, nothing compared to what she does, and, and yet we're preparing the house in eager anticipation that the party is coming. We should treat Sabbath, I believe we should treat Sabbath in the same way, that there's a party coming. Psalm 37 verse four says this, delight yourself in the Lord. And notice what happens. And he will give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in the Lord, that means your desires are going to be reliable because your desires are gonna be sifted through the will of God delight yourself in the Lord. That is such an invitation just to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And again, the reason why the Lord in that moment can give you the desires of your heart is because your desires are pure. Because they're right. When I studied these these words, delight yourself, these three things came in my study. It means to take pleasure in, to have pleasure, Fun in to pamper or refresh yourself. So when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we are taking pleasure in God. We're having fun in the midst of resting with God and, and contemplating God. We're having fun. It's a party atmosphere, and we're there and we're connecting to one another as a family. We're connecting with friends. We're connecting with food, we're connecting with drink, we're connecting at a park, we're connecting maybe at a state park, we're connecting by going for a walk, we're connecting by doing something that helps us to spur more delight and joy. And the last part of this is amazing, to pamper or refresh yourself. That is what Sabbath is about, a matter of refreshing ourselves. So I'll summarize it by saying this, Put some delight in your Sabbath container. Put some delight in your Sabbath container. I want to encourage you with these things. I love what Abraham Heschel said in his book called Sabbath. In it, it's very Jewish, and it's not a Christian, a bit of Christian literature. It's very Jewish, but I like this quote. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I like this quote. He says, labor is a craft, but perfect rest or Sabbath is an art. It's an art. It takes time to make art. And, and everybody's art is a little bit different. There, there may be some similarities. It may be pen to page or some sort of uh, musical art or some sort of composition or the, the, some sort of art. But yet there may have some, some commonalities. And some commonalities with Sabbath is you're going to have some time in the Word. You're going to have some time in prayer. You're going to probably have some time eventually in silence. You're going to have some time as a family or as a married couple. So expect yourself. I encourage you with this. Expect yourself to get it wrong for a short time. It, just expect this. Expect that you're going to get it wrong and expect there's grace to meet every need that you have. Also, know that after you do it more and more, you're going to find it easier. Not only are you going to find a greater motivation for doing it, you're also going to find the practice of it, the development of the art, so to speak, as borrowing Heschel's phrase, the development of the art, you're going to find it to be easier. And you're going to find it just a satisfaction for your soul because it's a time where you're abiding in Jesus in the way that is good and right. A.J. and I, in the first... uh, episode of season two of DBC Conversations, we suggested just starting with two hours. And some of you are already doing two hours, and I, it's awesome. I praise God for you and how you take God's word seriously. Some of you, you, you maybe aren't there yet, and I'm hoping that you get there. And others of you, maybe you're even more progressed than that. And we're, I want us to, maybe even if we start at two hours, I want us to be at 24. Like the goal is 24 hours, because it was six days of work, one day of rest, But start start slowly. Start with a couple of hours. Have a conversation with your family about what you all can do to delight together. What you all can do where you find delight together. It it doesn't mean that you're always gonna be in the same room all day long, but there should be times in, in the course of a Sabbath where your family comes together and you delight around God And around godly things. So you have to ask yourself this question What brings you delight? So ask yourself this What brings me delight? What brings me delight? And then two other phrases that go right with that first one Is it a form of worship? So, so maybe for you, you, you have a list. You're like, what brings me delight? And I would say, man, make a list. I'm, I'm ready to make a list, right? Some of you are not. Maybe you need to be a little bit more disciplined to make a list. Make a list of all the things that you consider delight. And then just imagine if you would drawing a line on your paper and then on one side just write the word worship, on the other side write the word rest. And now go through all the things that could be potential, that things that you delight in, and now you're going to run it through the grid and now you're going to say is it, is it worship and is it rest? And if it passes the test, if it's worship and rest, then it, should, it can go in your Sabbath container as, as a way of delighting in the Lord trusting that He's going to give us the desires of our heart as our hearts are inclined to be like Him and with Him. So, some possibilities. I've already said some of these, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Food, um, some th- different things to, to bring delight. Maybe it's, it's just having food together, coming together around a common meal. It's family time. It's going for a walk. It's making brownies. Maybe it's gardening for you. Maybe it's just simply having a cookout, reading a book, taking a nap, playing games with your kids. Whatever it is, just as you learn how to delight in the Lord, just trust that the Lord is gonna overflow in you, that he's gonna be producing life in you, that you are gonna be the, like the well-watered garden that, is, that has this, it's just a spring-fed thing, that it's always green and flourishing. And I wanna give you five Uh, Takeaways, and the first one is this. Slow down so you can delight in the Sabbath. This is going to require you to slow down a little bit. Slow down so you can delight in the Sabbath. Second thing is this. Avoid the things that distract you from God. Avoid the things that distract you from God. For you, things that are going to distract you from God is work, either paid or unpaid. Computers, maybe your phone, cutting the grass, maybe music for you is an obstacle, um, maybe Netflix, maybe you just need to make the choice where I'm gonna be tempted to look at something that's not gonna be Sabbath-worthy, delight-worthy on, on Sabbaths You're like I'm not gonna turn, maybe you're not even gonna turn on the TV, maybe you are gonna turn on the TV, maybe you're gonna put on a wholesome movie or something and watch that as a family, whatever the case may be, avoid the things that distract you from God. We need a community of faith around us to help us to understand what goes in our Sabbath container. So, during our community groups this week, you'll be working through this as, as groups to encourage one another and to help shape one another. We need the community of faith to shape us to figure out what goes in our Sabbath container. The third thing, put your phone away and guard what you watch on TV. For some, it's just, okay, putting your phone away and guarding what you watch on TV. I can't... If, I can't even stress this enough, maybe you just need to put your phone away. Maybe for some, you don't have to put your phone away. Maybe you can, you can have your phone on and you can put on whatever, uh, whatever app that you use to listen to music through. And maybe you put on some worship music and you allow that to just, that's what I actually did last Saturday. And just allow that to kind of wash over the house on your Sabbath. Maybe that's what would work for you. But maybe for some others, you just simply have to put your phone away and and really guard what you watch on TV. Fourth thing, and I've said this every week, and you're like, oh, not again? Yes, again, avoid paid or unpaid work. Man, these are gonna be the things that tug you away from delight. And the fifth one I really want to encourage you with, don't make, don't make it, don't make Sabbath, don't make this delighting thing more rigid than what it needs to be. There was a group of people who were trying to make the Sabbath very rigid, and they were succeeding. And Jesus dropped this bomb on them. And this comes from Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and His disciples walked along. They began to pick up some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Him, Look, why, why why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions, the gall of David. And Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. These people were so inclined to make the Sabbath and every other thing that even had a a theological truth connected to it or or any sort of moral law connected to it, they made it more difficult. And I just want to encourage you, don't make Sabbath more complicated than what it needs to be. Don't. It's a time of delighting. You're worthy of, of God's delight. Your family is worthy of God's delight. You are worthy of offering this place of delight in your home for your kids. You can do this and we can do it together. I want to thank you so much for your time and attention. I plan on being back next week as we finish up this series called In Rhythm where we're learning how to hit how to have faith to hit pause in a world that never stops. Thank you.